false teacher proof. Now, I, don't, I was going to bring in one of my pieces of running equipment. And, uh, you know, I, I like when it's bad weather, it's a good time to go out and run. It is. Not because it's so enjoyable, but because it just, it just toughens you up. And I have a number of different things to, to face the weather. But they, they make things for you, just like you, when you go out normally, they make things that are waterproof. How many have a jacket that is waterproof? How many have a jacket that is not waterproof, but it's water-resistant? Now, see, all the stuff that I have in running, I have zero waterproof material. I don't have a single one. Because there's a problem with waterproof. It doesn't breathe as well. Now, they've gotten better. They've certainly gotten better, and it's better than it used to be. But waterproof stuff doesn't breathe as well. And so you're not as comfortable. And if you're willing to go out in the rain and run or do whatever it is, you're, you better be willing to get wet. All I want the thing to do is to keep me dry for the first mile. If I'm dry for the first mile, by that point, I'm out there, you're into, the, into everything that's going on, and you'll be fine. So, uh, so I have more water-resistant stuff. But, you know, false teacher-resistant isn't as good as false teacher-proof. We want to make sure that none gets in. We want to make sure that we're not susceptible to anything. That you can go out there in the rain and it just comes down and not a bit of it comes upon you. That's how we want to get. So how can we, we get that in our lives? How can we become that way? So this is what we need to look at. This is what we're going to be, be spending some time with. Last week we were talking about how people around you, how the enemy tries to, to pull different colors out. Now, Lissy and I, I told you, Lissy and I, we were having a conversation. And she's in the back seat of the car because they won't let her be in the front seat yet. <laughs> but when she gets to be in the front seat of the car, she'll be in the front seat here with me, right? Yeah. But she was in the back, back seat, and we were talking about colors. And we were talking about primary colors. And so last week, we're, we were dealing with three, the three primary colors. And I told you the story. I don't think a little girl here knows that I told that story to you. But I, I told you the story that I told her how to remember the, the primary colors. The first off, her pup-up's favorite color is, and she would tell you, blue. Her favorite color is, and she'll tell you, yellow. And her uh, mom, and I believe her dad too, he's, he's, at least it's up there, favorite color, red. So, and so I so said, you just remember your favorite colors of some of your favorite people, and you, you, got the, you got the primary colors down. And last week we looked at those three colors. We saw that Saul, because of David being in his life, the enemy was able, David didn't pull it out. The enemy was able, through David, to pull out anger. We used the color of red for that. We saw that John Mark felt like he had the call of ministry and decided to join Barnabas and, and Paul on this missionary journey. And when he faced some persecution, he decided, nope, I'm not called, I'm leaving. And he got cold to the call. His color was blue. See, that's what the enemy was able to do. He was able to, to use persecution to pull a color out of John Mark. And then we spent a lot of time looking at Elijah. And the things that were said, the things that were spoken, the enemy was able to take one of the most, one of the strongest prophets, one of the boldest prophets, and get him to turn tail and run. And his color was yellow. But we said the color that ought to come out of you 
is green. Green for gold. If you want a secondary color, gold. Because when you go through tests and trials, it should bring out the best in you. It should bring out the finest and the purest that's in you. So what colors was the enemy able to pull out of you this week? Or were you resistant to it? Did you stay with the colors that God has given you? Now we're going to give you here five things. And I really gave serious thought to breaking this up. And as the service has been progressing, and things have been going on, I was thinking maybe I should have broken it up. So I'm not sure if we'll get through it all today. We'll, we'll see because I want to make sure I spend adequate time on, on each part. But we'll, we'll see. There's a, something in particular I saw in the life of Peter we want to bring out here to you that will hopefully help you in some of the things you're going through. But let's read this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to start the back with verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Preach the Word. He's writing to a pastor. This is his ministry teaching. He says, preach the Word. I've, I've shared this with you before, but if I listen to a podcast of a church service, and if they don't get into the Word, they lose my interest. I don't care if it's a Word I've heard a thousand times. Just preach the Word. Just give me the Word. That's, that's what we want. I've gone back to some Ramah teachers that I had who are now pastoring different churches and listened to their podcast and went through an hour of teaching and we didn't open the Word of God. Well, they were, I, I know their past. I have a you know, history with them. Surely that just was a weird, weird service. And listen to a second one. No Word at all. Talked about it. Didn't open the Bible. You see, the tendency is to get away from preaching the Word. Now, other churches, there are some churches, you know, you're, you're more equipped. I heard this from somebody, I think Brother Hagin said it. You're more equipped if you show up with a newspaper than the Bible. But here's his words to him. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Now look at verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure... And that word endure, not going to get into a big long thing about it, but that word endure, put up with. For the time will come when they will not put up with sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In this verse, understand he is not talking about heathens. He is not talking about people who forsake God, forsake the gospel, or forsake the word. We're not talking about people who stop praying, who stop believing God for things. We are talking about people in the church pursuing God, and he says... These people have turned their ears from the truth. That means he's saying the day is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. But I'm paraphrasing here. But the churches will have people who do not want to hear the truth but will encourage those teachers who teach things that they want to hear. says that day's coming. 
that day is coming. So, we gave you five things here. Five things that will help you to become false teaching proof. That if you hang on to these things, it, it, it won't come about. Now, this is not new revelation for me. Basically, folks, this is stuff we've been doing here for decades. But I don't think I've ever talked to you. You see, when I was, um, when I, when I was uh, in, in the course of time before you know got involved in starting this church and just in other places I was at, I saw a lot of things go on in churches that I didn't like. One of the things that happened with uh, the, the church I, I, I was the assistant pastor, youth pastor at, is uh, the pastor would bring in anyone who called the office and wanted to come in and teach. At least that's how it was passed on to me. If they called up and they were in town and they wanted to teach, he'd give them the Sunday night service. And so they would, they would go on, they would come in at Sunday night service. And I remember one particular, one particular Sunday, I was sitting next to the uh, pastor's son. He and I were good friends. And this person was teaching. And, you know, you had to try and keep things off, the, off of your face. But I was extremely disappointed in the things he was, he was teaching. Really, an, almost anti-faith. And so he slipped me a note. He wrote down on a little note and he slipped it to me. He says, don't worry, Steve. There aren't that many people here to be confused. <laughs> that, was, that was interesting. We got to the, the point, I think, uh, at some point, they, they, they uh, offered for me to take the Sunday night services because they thought it'd be easier because the pastor was feeling a burden to have to do Sunday morning and Sunday night, and I believe he, he, he taught another, another spot, so that would take it off, and then maybe he wouldn't so, be so inclined to bring other people in that weren't in line with what the church was doing. But I saw some of the, those things. I saw some of the doctrines that would come in, I saw the way that people would bring some things in, and uh, I was resistant to them. I, I told you the story before. There was a, a teaching that was going, I don't know if it's still around. It probably is. I just don't hear about it. But how many have ever heard of inner healing? I hope that's not around anymore, but it could have been. It could still be. It was, it was this is back in the 80s, and I guess, I don't know if it just started then or if it was coming near us, and we had uh, some of the people on the leadership team that loved this. And so they were coming out, a, a group that taught inner healing was coming out to the church. And they were going to, it was not a church-sponsored thing. It was, they were just using the church to put on their seminar. And so they were coming out. Now, I was the assistant pastor at that time. And usually if a church function is going on, I was there. I was not planning to be at this particular one. I stayed away from it. And uh, one of the elders, you can probably guess who, approached me about it and said, are you coming to the weekend meetings? I said, I am not. Well, don't you think you ought to be here? I said, I don't sit under false stuff. I said a little stronger than that. But he didn't like that I called his stuff false. I said, my healing is not located on the inside of me. It's located in my God. And I didn't go. And I didn't feel bad about it. But I saw this kind of thing. And 
anyway, I tell you all that just to let you know this. There were some things that I saw, that I, I learned over the time that we could do to keep this from going on. So one of the things, you know, we've been around, I don't know how long is it, almost, almost three decades. And we've dealt with very little false doctrine, except for the stuff I teach you. <laughs> we, we've dealt with very... Now, we've had sometimes things that have come on through, but after the, I think after the first decade, it, it seemed to get less. And so um, just, I wrote it down for you. This is some of the things we've been doing inside here that you may not be aware of, but you ought to be. Here's the first thing to, to, to put in here. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking of an example, and I... I, I I, I kind of, um, I can think back to my childhood, but Max is right over here, and Max, I can relate to Max. I can relate to, to, to Max. I, I'll bet you, you know, my mom can relate to Mandy. I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking along those lines, because, you know, he and I were, I can see some similarities there. Max, when was the last time that your mom was mad at you? You don't have to tell me what it was for. When was the last time? Was it this morning? Yesterday? Day before, you just let that stuff just wash right over you. Don't you? <laughs> Think of this when you when you were when you were younger, and you did something wrong, and either your mom or your dad was really upset with you. What was the atmosphere in the house? What was it? What was it like? Was it uh, warm and friendly? There, there was something. Something was going on, and you knew I better be careful. Because I'm already on borrowed time. Because I messed up. And it changes the atmosphere in there, isn't it? And so you may have been thinking about doing something that you knew mom and dad didn't want you to do. But because of the atmosphere, you decided, no, I think I'm not going to do it now. (laughs) But if the atmosphere was different, you'd be okay with it. The atmosphere changed. And so this is what I put in here for your first thing. Uncomfortable atmosphere. You can actually create an atmosphere that makes false doctrine uncomfortable. Now that word there, sound teaching, when it says sound teaching, it's a word that it means uncorrupted, pure, and healthy. Basically, the stuff is good for you. If you want to use that, that terminology and something else, you can talk about sound food. Is sound food an apple or a Twinkie? (laughs) Not everyone walks in wisdom. It's okay. (laughs) We we would know that the apple would be, be better for us. But there might be a pull into the other direction. But he says, go after the sound teaching. See, they won't, they won't tolerate sound, sound teaching. So one of the first ways that you create an atmosphere is that you produce sound teaching. I put some characteristics here. Sound teaching that is, first off, interesting. How many have ever been under teaching that is boring? I mean, you almost fell asleep on the, on the thing. That's not going to help you, is it? That's, I mean, if you were to sit down at a good meal and the food was bland, 
I mean, just no flavor to it. It don't, you don't care how good it is for you. It don't taste good. So you're not going to eat it. But if the food is healthy and it tastes good, like guacamole. <laughs> Got to throw that in there every once in a while, right? Something like that. Then, you know, then you go after it. Then you'll go after it. And it will help you. The only good food that helps you is the stuff that you eat. Apples may be very healthy for you, but if you don't eat them, they won't do you any good. Interesting. Secondly, applicable. You need to be able to apply it. If you've got teaching and, and you can't apply it, I don't know what to do with this. I mean, that was a great teaching, but what am I supposed to do? It's not going to help you. And here's the third thing, relevant. What you learn has got to function in your life now. And you'll notice one thing about whatever we're teaching out in here is that we, you know, first off, I try and make it interesting. Hopefully I do. Secondly, we always give you ways to put it into practice. Always tell you how you can make this, this stuff work. And third, we bring in how it affects things that are going on in your world today. Keep it relevant. That's something we've done for, for, for a long, long time. Here's the second thing. Preemptive teaching. Sound teaching first. Preemptive teaching second. Preemptive teaching, what do I mean by that? I, I mean, there were times, and it doesn't happen as much anymore. I think we've kind of fallen off the radar for, for some people. But there were some things that would go on, and the Spirit of God would just come up on the inside of me. Teach on this. And so, you know, you just listen to it. And you just go and you, I, and you teach on that. And then sometime down the road, oh, that's why. Because this was trying to make its way in. But you see, when you get into preemptive teaching, you already know the truth before the lie got here. And so when the lie gets here, you're, it's exposed. Preemptive teaching. That creates an atmosphere that, uh, that false teaching is not comfortable in. That's the second one. Here's the third one. A firm understanding of the truth. If you have a firm understanding of the truth, then false teaching will not be comfortable around you. One of the things I've been excited about, always get excited about, whenever someone in church is relating something that they learned in their own words, or they're giving a testimony how they passed this off, to some, I think that is great because that means you've got a firm handle on it. I get excited about it. Just absolutely thrilled. Because the, if you have a firm handle on what the truth is, then the devil can't get you to loosen your grip. And when other people come around, you'll let them know. Here's the, here's the fourth one. Well-rounded in truth. If we only taught you things on faith, you would not be well-rounded. We have to go out and teach about love. We have to go out and teach about unforgiveness and forgiveness. We've got to go out and teach about other, other things. You need to be well-rounded in it. And one of the things we've done with the teaching, and it's been this way for as, as long as we've been around, since the beginning, we have had two services. We've had the Sunday morning service. We've had a midweek service. For a little while, our midweek service was on Thursday because of the schedule I have at the shore. But we always had a midweek service, and there was always two different purposes in it. Sunday has been a topical teaching where we go through the whole word and show you what a, a topic is and show you many different places in the word where it's taught. Wednesday nights, we take on a person in the Bible 
or a book because we're trying to keep it well-rounded. You see, if you teach a book, you can't get a favorite, to- you can't get a favorite teaching, favorite topic. You've got to go with all the topics that are in the book. If you cover a person, you've got to cover all the things that happen with that particular person. And so we try and, and, and stay well-rounded on that. Here's the fifth one. Boldness and truth. Boldness and truth. You are confident in what you know and confront all distortions. If you get comfortable in what you know and you are well-rounded, you're not just specialized in this area, but you're well-rounded in the Word, when false doctrine enters in, you all will jump on them. I mean, if it's possible in the Spirit to beat people up, you all will do it. (laughs) And just the very fact that false doctrine coming in would be beat up by the church members before it ever got out is what helps create the, uh, the atmosphere that makes false teaching very uncomfortable. And so we dealt with a few things early on. And uh, you know, maybe the first decade, there were some uh, open confrontations that had go on. And, but, but I'll tell you what, you all had just taken it up to such a level that if false doctrine comes in, you all handle it before I even see it. And this is the place in this first one where we are all involved. Every single one of us is involved in this. It's not just me making sure the teaching goes this way. It's, it's you folks, the way you're receptive. You folks in the way that you pull things out. You folks in the way that you carry things. And don't just... I mean, some of you folks... I remember we learned a year ago. I remember three years ago when you... <laughs> and, and that means you're hanging on to it. You're getting a firm grip on it. False de- doctrine is not going to come in and get you. Remember when Jesus came into the temple? He overturned the tables? What kind of atmosphere had they created in the temple that allowed this kind of stuff to go on comfortably right out in the open? Knowing Jesus was coming in right out in the open, this is where they... What kind of an atmosphere had they created in there? You can have that. Some churches create an atmosphere that welcomes false doctrine. But they are, we still call them a church. Now, I want to read this translation to you through, um, through Williams. It reads this way. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach. Now, he puts it here. Preach the message. I put in parentheses the word because that is what, that, that word is logos. It's the word. Preach the word. Not just the message. Preach the word. Stay at it in season and out of season. Convince, reprove, exhort people with perfect patience as a teacher. Now here's number verse 3. For a time will come when they will not listen to wholesome teaching, but to gratify their own evil desires will surround themselves with teachers who teach to gratify their own evil desires because their ears are itching so to be tickled. They will cease to listen to the truth and will turn to listen to myths. See, what they're saying is that the people go in a direction. I just want to hear things that make my evil desires. Even though they try and put a spiritual coating on them, they're still evil desires. I want to find some people who will teach me according to this way. And you'll notice the people who have fallen into some of this false doctrine, some of this, these things in this, if you come along and you teach them, but wait a minute, that's not what the Word says. Oh, get out of here with that. We're not in a legalistic... And they'll throw out different stuff. 
Yeah. Verse 5. But you, on your part, must always keep your head cool. Suffer hardship. Do your work as the herald of the good news. And so full, and so fill your ministry to the brim. Alright, that's the first one. Create an atmosphere in which it's not comfortable. And you've done this before with other things. How many of you have a relative that you would prefer not come to the social events? Raise your hand. Come on. Have a relative. Now notice this. When they are there, when they are there in your home and you're thinking, I prefer they not be here. I don't like the influence they are on my kids. I don't like the words that they use. I'm not saying that you have bad reasons for it. You may have very, very good ones, but you have reasons to say, I don't want them in my house. So when you go up to them, do you make them feel comfortable? Do you take their coat? Do you offer them, would you like any to drink? Or do you sometimes, I'm just picture yourself doing this. Here's this person right over here. You don't want them here. Here's this person over here. You come up to them. Hi, can I get you something to drink? I would like this. Okay, I'll get it for you. And you go right on off. Why do you do that? Because I don't want them knowing I want them here. You are trying to create an atmosphere for which they are not comfortable. If they don't get the subtle hint and they begin to, to use words in your house that you don't like, you have no problem with saying to them, we don't speak like that in this home. Isn't that right? What are you doing? I'm creating an atmosphere for which they're not comfortable. Either they will change or they will leave. And you don't feel bad about it, do you? We're, we already know how to create an atmosphere. What we do is we get to create an atmosphere that false doctrine doesn't make its home. All right, that's the first one. Let's get into the second one. First John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, that was a couple years ago. We spent quite a bit of time on this, testing the spirits. Here's, this, here's the second part. Resistant soil. Resistant soil. Have you ever had certain parts of your lawn that seem to be resistant to grass seed, but open to weeds? You want to get it so that you on the inside are resistant to anything false. Resistant. First John 2, verse 27, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you, abide, you will abide in him. You have an unction. You have a knowing. Even if, if something is taught in the area of false teaching, something is taught in the area of false teaching, just because that goes on, You have an anointing, you have an unction on the inside of you that I don't, know what, I don't know much in that area. But what I do know is my spirit is saying no. My spirit says no. You just, something is coming up on the inside of you. No, no. I, 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 don't, I don't feel that, I don't see that. I think that's wrong. I don't know why it's wrong. You see, you got an anointing on the inside of you. Learn to rely on it. If that comes up and something's going on around you, well... Just, 
I'm not, I'm not ready for that one yet. Just put that one aside. Always compare what you're being taught to what you already know. 2 Timothy 2, verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And after the message will spread like cancer, Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. You see, they, they had already gotten into this, this false teaching. They came out, these are teachers, they came up under Paul's ministry. And then they, they got some unction on the inside of you to teach, teach something different. The resurrection is already passed. We're already past that. And some of the people's faith was thrown for this. But they accepted it and they began to teach it. And Paul said, be, be careful of these guys. Watch out for this. They used to be on my team, but, the, but they're not anymore. See, you need to become resistant to that sort of stuff. Now, in this area of, of, of becoming resistant, I'm going to have a question for Alicia. Is there a particular food that you do not like? There you go. All right. Alicia does not like squash. If someone were to come up to you and sing the praises of squash, how good it is, how good it is for you. And they prepared their favorite squash dish, and they say, it is exquisite. You have got to try this dish of squash. And they put it in front of you. What would you say? No, thank you. CC is resistant to the idea of squash being good. And no matter how you dress it up, no matter what you put on top of it, it's not going to happen, is it? She's not going to eat the squash. We become resistant. But you see, not everybody is that way with false doctrine. Because sometimes they come along with it and they, they candy it up. Maybe they put some cheese on it. Because everything's better with cheese. Maybe they might even put some guacamole on it. I know it'll get you. I know this will get some of you people. Hot sauce. Hot sauce. Brother Les over there, he carries his hot sauce. We can have men's breakfast. He brings his hot sauce in there. To <laughs> He's got that. I do not carry hot sauce with me. Got his own right there in his supplies. He comes on in there. He's ready. Could you, you see, if you put the right thing on it, maybe you make it palatable. Maybe, maybe you make it that you, that you give it a try. How many people here like coffee? All right. When you first tried coffee, how many people did not like coffee? But you, you found some things to put on it, didn't you? Some types of cream, some type of uh, sweetener. Uh, you found something to do with it to make it better. I don't think there's anything that you can do to make coffee better. Max, what do you think about coffee? you like coffee? I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I don't, I don't like coffee. And no matter what you do with it, you know, I don't care what you do. I mean, it seems like a fun beverage to like. I mean, people are always sitting down, let's have coffee together. You know, we don't go out and say, hey, let's have a Diet Coke together. We don't do that. We say, let's go out and have coffee together. So I've got a whole aspect of my social life that is now void. Because I don't like coffee. 
How about we meet down at the coffee shop? No. I don't want to do that. I don't know that there's anything you could do to dress up coffee to make it palatable for me. But this is what you got to do. Because initially, coffee was not receptive to you. But when you put this on it or this on it, now all of a sudden, what was not good, it becomes acceptable to the point that you like it and almost begin to crave it. I got to have my coffee. You see, that's what the devil tries to do with false doctrine. He tries to put some stuff on it. But you got to get yourself just like Alicia. It says, you're not getting that squash by me. I will go hungry. Isn't that right? You will go hungry before I eat that stuff. Now, I'm sure there's some people who, who like squash. That is a shame. Ah, that is a shame. <laughs> I don't despise it quite to the level that uh, Alicia does. I can hold my nose and eat some of it if I need to. But it's not something that I would go after. Here's the, here's the third one. So first off, we create an uncomfortable atmosphere. Secondly, resistant soil. And see, that's up to us as believers. I've got to make my soil resistant to that sort of thing. That's up to me. I've got to make sure that we, we, we put that right step down. But false doctrine, no, it's not going to come in. Not welcome in here. Here's the third one. Direct confrontation. Whether privately or publicly, there are times, and this is, this is more on me than, than, than anyone else, but you all sometimes pick it up, but there are times I have to directly confront false doctrine. I mean, I can't put it under the... the it has to be direct. It has to be authoritative. You've got to take it out. It, it can't go on. Because if you don't, then the next one will come up. And the next one will come up. And it changes the atmosphere. I remember one time, some of you are, are sitting here today, do remember the, the services, but we brought somebody out, my, a friend of I mean a good friend of mine, good friend of mine. And we came on out and, and we had uh, one person over next door doing uh, uh, what we call the VBS, we call it a vacation Bible school, basically it was just a super church, just, uh, just a, he came out and he was over there. And how many remember those days we go out there in the neighborhood and we bust them in? We have 70, 80 kids over in that, in that spot. And we just fill it up with, with the people. And so that was going on over there. And then over here there was other things going on. We had, uh, they, they came on and they were teaching us over here. And, but I trusted them. And so you have that many kids over in there. Um, I wanted to spend some time over there to make sure everything was okay. So I was over there a lot and not always over here. And one particular time, my wife came on over to me. She says, you need to come next door. I said, what's going on? She said, you need to come see this and you need to take care of it. So I came next door and sure enough, she was right. They had people, um, I, I may remember this wrong, but I believe they were clucking like chickens and barking like dogs. My my jaw fell. <laughs> and so um, we had to put a stop to it right there in the service. That, that'll, you know, just kind of put the kibosh on anything I've happened in for the rest of the service. Had to put the kibosh on that. And then I had to take my friends who were in ministry longer than I was. 
out and sit them down and say, because we still have more meetings to go. We weren't finished. And sit them down and say, we do not do that in this church. And I couldn't spend time over there. I had to spend time over here and watched it to make sure it's not going off in that direction. And uh, that was the last time we brought them out, which was a shame because, again, really good friends. I still stay in touch with them. And we had some fun times over there in the children's ministry when during that week. But it, it changed things. I had to openly confront things. Who was a friend. Had to openly do it here in, in church, embarrass some people. You had to get over that whole thing. And uh, they had brought some books in and um, I had a, we, we trust visiting ministers to come on in to, to bring books and he brought some stuff in and I remember one, one particular person they uh, wrote to me and said did you read any of these books that they brought he said I was reading one and, and so uh, it's, it taught that and so we had to make the announcement if you bought this book I want to get your money back on it come on I said I'd, I'd tell them I don't rec- recommend that any of you read it you see, sometimes you have to openly confront some things because that also adds in creating the atmosphere. You can't be timid. You can't go back and say, well, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We had to sometimes do that. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So apparently he was accurate in some things, but ventured off in some areas where he was not accurate in. And so they didn't feel the need to publicly humiliate him because his heart was right. And so they pulled him aside and they said, look, we need to explain some things to you. Let's get this right. So when you go out there and you teach, you're on board. He received it, straightened up, and went. That was a private one. Sometimes we've, had, we've done that with, with privately. We've had some people, I don't we were having special meetings one time, and somebody came in with flags. Now, you all know my feelings on flags. I have not made it un, unknown, my feelings about flags. But um, we were worshiping. We were having a good time in this special meeting. I don't even remember who the, the guest speaker was. But I remember that uh, somebody came in the back, and I know who they are. And I just caught movement out of the side of my eye. And so I look back and here's this person with this flag in the back of the church moving the flag. So I got up out of my chair. I went on back to the church and I said, put it down. We don't do that here. Oh, you you don't? I said, no. (laughs) He put the flag down. He sat down in his chair and did not bring the flag into the place again. Now that went on and probably most people didn't know what had happened with that. But I couldn't let that go on and then deal with it later. You've got to deal with it then. See, you've got to sometimes openly confront some of these things when, when they're going on. Sometimes you do it privately. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the, the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, Before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? 
We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles. Now here's an interesting thing about this particular thing. This is a rebuke that Paul does to Peter. Do you remember a few weeks back? I'm sure that you do. We looked at the vision that Peter had. What was the vision? The food. He thought on it. He said that he determined from that that God has not, that all men are clean. Right? Isn't that the revelation? Here's what's interesting. When did Paul get born again? You don't have to come up with a year. I'll give you a chapter 9 of the book of Acts. When was Peter's vision? Chapter 10. When were the missionary journeys? I believe the first one was either chapter 12. Chapter 12. The missionary journeys. First missionary journey. For which Galatian was, was, uh, was part of. He went to, went to Galatia, ministered into some of the things that were, were happening there. Started up a church. And then he writes them a letter. How could Paul confront Peter with any effectiveness if he just got saved? Didn't Paul go away for a while and get the revelation? And then Barnabas had to go out and get him? And then he was ministering in the church for a while. And then he decided to lay hands on these two and send them off. Then they go on their missionary journey. And then after that, Paul is, is writing letters. What this tells me is that Peter, after he got the vision, fell away from it. And began to do things contrary to what the vision said. And, and uh, Paul rebuked him publicly. Now, to his credit, Peter got in line. But that's, uh, that was a public thing. Paul realized, we can't do this quietly because other people have seen this. We've got to be, we got to say this, say this now. It, it's it's kind of like this. Uh, I mean, I'm sure Mia is probably the most angelic daughter inside the church next to my granddaughter. Would you probably agree with that? Oh, mama's not, mama's not in agreement. Huh. Mia, what's going on here? Are you telling me that there's some times that you are a rebel? She looks stunned. She's like, this is the first I'm hearing this. I'm not aware. <laughs> well, if you can, you may not be able to re- recall this, but if you can think back to some time when mom had to rebuke you and it was public, did you enjoy it? In the Walmart. In the grocery store. No, we don't, we don't enjoy that. But there are times that we had to rebuke people publicly and times we pull them aside and deal with it privately. See, sometimes we have to do this. But if we do not rebuke the children when they do something wrong, we end up with families like we see at the Walmart. Maybe other places. Might have started throwing Target in with that, that group. There's a direct confrontation that needs to come up sometimes. How are we doing with this? We're, we're doing okay. We'll keep on going. You see, some of the ways that we, we need to deal with this is uh, I, as a pastor, have to deal with some things through authority and prayer. 
when I see some of these things coming on, when I see, you know, I, I have to stay in tune with what is happening in the world. So there are some, some false doctrines that I let you all know about that never came near here. Some of that stuff with the, the uh, ultra grace, they never came near here. No one ever brought it in, tried to bring it in. But I let you know about it because it was out there and it would try to be infecting you. So there, there are times I just have to stay up on what's going on in the body of Christ. What kind of false doctrine is trying to be working its way in? To take authority over it. Pray over you all. And stand your ground. Here's the fourth, fourth one. A love for the word. And I'll tell you what, you all have that. Now, in order to get you to fall in love with the Word, I have to be in love with the Word, and I'm constantly sharing with you my passion for the Word. Because I love the Word. The Word of God is the most exciting thing that I have. I love reading the Word. I love studying the Word. I love meditating on the Word. I love everything about the Word. And you all pick that up and carry it on and um, foster it inside your own selves. And you give testimonies. Talk about things, how the, 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 you're falling in love with the Word. You love the Word. In John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my... I mean, that's pretty basic. Verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Don't tell me you love me, don't keep my commandments, because I'm going to look at that. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, if you're going to love Jesus, you've got to keep his word. But Jesus is the word, isn't he? You can't, cannot separate the love of Jesus for the love of the Word. When you fall in love with the Word, fall in love with Jesus. You want to have a love for the Word, not a love for what's new. Some people have a love, what kind of new doctrines out there? What kind of new prediction do we have for the end times? What kind of new, new thing are, are people, we don't need the new. We need to to stay on the old and learn it, get it working. But some people, they have a love for what's new. You've got to bring in something new. Now, as soon as you get into a spot like that, then the enemy's going to answer. He's going to bring new stuff to you. It's called doctrines of demons. You're content with what the Word teaches. I don't need to go outside of the Word of God, what the Word teaches. This is good. This is good. We, we spend our lifetime Learning what the Word teaches. And we're content with that. First John verse 2, verse 5. But whoever keeps His Word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. Fall in love with the Word of God. If you fall in love with the Word of God, when other things come along that are not the Word, it will be distasteful to you. Become like squash. stuff that, oh no, that's, that's not the stuff I'm in love with. Now here's the last one. 
And we have gone over this a number of different times with you. This will be nothing new to you. You've heard it all before, but we're just going to put it into you in this, in this different spot. That is a pathway to truth. There is a path that leads to truth. If you stay on it, you find the truth. If you get off of it, you will find other things. There is a pathway to truth. Not everyone, and I talk to a lot of people in the body of Christ, and not everyone is thrilled with, with this particular pathway. A lot of them venture off of it. And I've talked with some of them. You know, well, why are you venturing off there? And, and show them the reasons. No, no, no. They're going to stay on this particular way. They're going to stay and go in this direction. There is a pathway of truth. So I want to lay it out here for you. How do I identify truth to live by? First off, you all can probably recite this. It is clearly taught in the Word. Whatever we are to live our life by is clearly taught in the Word. We don't need some veiled reference. We don't need something that comes and people pull out a scripture and say, well, and this part of the verse, this part of the sentence, because he used this word, it means this. And therefore, even though there's no other place in the word that teaches it, we believe that this is how we ought to go. You know, teaching is like the shofar. How many know about the shofar? We know about it in the word of God, but you know that people have whole doctrines, books that they produce on how you can learn to blow the shofar to bring in the spirit of God. How you can learn to blow the shofar and drive away evil spirits. And people buy into this. Now you go and try and tell them something different, they'll throw you out. Because they have, they bought into this. But you see, there's nothing in the Word of God that clearly teaches me that I need to go out and get myself a shofar. Become proficient in how to play it. So I can make the certain sounds that are necessary to bring in the Spirit of God. Or drive away the Spirit of the enemy. You don't need to do that. So first off, it's clearly taught in the Word. Here's the second one. It's repeated. It's repeatedly taught in the Word. It isn't just taught in one place. It's taught repeatedly. Anything that you are supposed to major in is majored on in the Word. He's going to give you a lot of teaching on it. Now this isn't new. You've had this before. I've told you this over and over again. Here's the other part. And, so it's clearly taught, it's repeatedly taught, and it gives us examples and demonstrations. Now you'd say the, the acronym there? Cred. It gives you some credibility. And they, the sign they talk about, get some street cred. Get some word cred here. Clearly taught, repeatedly taught, the Word gives us examples and demonstrations. There are people who have done whatever it is that you're supposed to do in the Word to show you how to do it. They've already done it. Are there people praying in the Word of God? So, you know how to, how to pray. Are there people who worship in the Word of God? Yes, so we know how to worship. Are there people who teach in the Word of God? Are there people who prophesy in the Word of God? Are there people who apostle in the Word of God? All these things we have demonstrations of. And you can keep on going. There's more. There's healing. Is healing in the Word of God? Then we have demonstrations of that, don't we? We have examples of people who were healed, people who operated in healing. We have examples and demonstrations of the gifts of the Spirit. We have examples and demonstrations of people getting saved, of people getting baptized. 
It just goes on and on. You just keep on going. This is the pathway of truth. If you want to make sure, stay on this, stay on this pathway. You're going to see pretty little things over here. Try and get you off the path. Don't, don't go off the path. First off, is it clearly taught? Is it repeatedly taught? Are there examples and demonstrations in the Word of God? If there are not, then don't, don't focus on it. It's just going to get you off the pathway of truth. And you'll, you'll end up going down a place you shouldn't be. So it's clear, repeated, exemplified, and demonstrated. Now one more verse of scripture here in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. The Spirit expressly says. The other one was in 2 Timothy. This one's in 1 Timothy. Seems like he's telling Timothy a lot of the same stuff, doesn't it? The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. We, or Williams puts it this way. Now the Spirit distinctly declares that in latter times some will turn away from the faith because they continuously give their attention to deceiving spirits and the things that demons teach. Whew. Now you think about this. How many, when was the last time you ran into somebody who was into some area of false doctrine? In the church into some area of false doctrine. How much of their life is dominated by that thing? They continually give their attention to it. Everything is about it. And unless you start doing it, you're not going to be walking in what God has for you. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. In other words, they say stop eating, stop eating bacon. <laughs> How many know right off the bat that's false doctrine? That I mean, that is just that's that's like heresy right there. What are you talking? <laughs> For every creature of God is good, especially them pigs, man. And nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourselves towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little. Man, he was going good up until then. How many believe that? He was going good up until... For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life and that now is and of that which is to come. Now, we could spend a whole lot more time on this, but I just want you to see, again, he's given the exhortation. False doctrine is coming, and people will give themselves over to it. Still believe they are Christians. Still show up at church every Sunday still pursuing God. Reading their Bible, making their study notes. But that's, that's not what's going on here. He says, reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. See, when these folks came in through you before, they were trying to get people to do something new. That's actually the words that they used. 
I want you to get to do something new, something you've never done before. Step out of your comfort zone. It's fine to do something new as long as it's in the Word of God. Never saw anybody in the worship service barking like a dog in the Word of God. So put yourself in a position to endure. And it's up to you to do that. What are, put in, I put in your outline some natural things. If we do these natural things, if I eat right, exercise, clean up, and socialize, I mean, I'll be a well-rounded person. Things will go well. How many of you look at that list and say, at least one of those areas I'm not doing so well on? Don't raise your hand. Maybe some of you are saying, well, I'm not eating right, but I exercise. Maybe some of you are saying, I don't eat right and I don't exercise, but I clean up well. Some of you say, I eat right and I exercise, but I don't necessarily get around other Christians like I should. Don't socialize as much as I should. So here's the thing. If, if we eat right, that's getting balanced truth from the Word of God. Make sure you get balanced truth. Don't just get all of one thing. Don't just take stuff in the area of, of uh, uh, faith or healing or prophecy or gifts of the Spirit or... Uh, you know, put whatever thing. You, you just can't be unbalanced. You know, steak is a good food, but you ought to have some other things in your diet besides steak. There ought to be some other things that you mix in. I hear some of you rebuking me back there right now. <laughs> you need you, you need a, you need some mashed potatoes every once in a while, or baked potato, or. <laughs> Needs need some other stuff in there. You got to work it around. Eat right. Secondly, exercise. That's do the word. Because you see, if you love God, you do His will. Do the word. Think of exercise in the physical realm, developing your natural body. In the spiritual realm, it's doing what He said to do. Stepping out in faith. Eat right. Exercise or do the word. Here's the second one. Clean up. Or third one. Clean up. Well, remove sin. Get rid of unforgiveness in your life. Get rid of anger and bitterness and all the other things. Clean your life up. Well, God loves me just the way I am. Yes, He does. But He prefers you to be a little cleaner. <laughs> you know, you got a little baby, year old, and they pooped her diaper. How many of you still love that baby? Absolutely. But what are you going to do for that baby? Clean them up. It's good to be cleaned up. I've told you the story before, but you know, I mean, girls may have a habit of, of staying probably cleaner than boys do. Boys, we go through a stage where we really don't think about it much. We, our goal is how dirty can I get today? It just seems, I don't know if that really is, but it just seems like that's the goal. How dirty can I get today? What can I do? And then all of a sudden, the, the boys change and they're taking the showers on their own. And as soon as that happens, we know exactly what has gone on inside of that boy. He saw something. Wait, what was that? That's a girl. <laughs> and now there's reason to clean up. Yeah, get the reasons to clean up. Eat right, exercise, clean up, get rid of that sin, get rid of unforgiveness, get those things of the flesh out of your life, clean yourself up. Here's the... Fourth one, socialize. Get in church. Word of God says don't forsake your assembly of yourselves together. Get in church, fellowship. 
be around other believers. Sometimes that takes some work. Sometimes it takes some effort. But we need to do it. We need to get out there and to, and to be around. If you do these things, folks, you will find that false teaching will fall right off of you. You just fall off. You see, the enemy is trying to pull something out of you. God has put good things on the inside of you. And God wants those good things to come out. He wants to pull out those good things. But the enemy wants to pull out other stuff. He wants to pull out those flesh colors. He wants to pull out anger, bitterness, envy. He wants to pull, out false, pull you into false doctrine so that you can get excited about it and share it with other people and undermine their faith. This is what he wants to do. He wants to pull these things out. But don't let them. Get yourself proofed from these things so they can't come near you. I don't know if these things work or not, but I see them up on Facebook. I have not ordered one yet. If any of you have ordered one and they can tell me whether it works or not, how many have seen that, that stuff you can put on your car that makes it mud-proof, dirt-proof? You, just, you put this stuff on and you see the example, they got this whole thing of mud and they just pour it on and it just slides right off. doesn't even touch them. I mean, you haven't seen that? Oh, it's out there. Spray it on, apply it, and then the, the mud comes and just falls right off. Isn't that cool? Just spray this stuff on and... See, you ought to be on Facebook. You'd be seeing all this stuff. <laughs> Every time I see that little commercial come up, I think, man, I want to get me some for that truck out there. I'm not getting all that dirt on it. Just fall right off. up to us we got to make ourselves false doctrine proof it's not up to God if it's up to God Paul wouldn't be writing these things he wouldn't be writing these warnings he wouldn't be letting you know there are Christians who are going after these things see just because people are Christians just because they go to church just because they worship God does not mean that there's not false doctrine in their life we've got to be on guard against it because it will try and pull you, to, pull you down. And if he can get you to go into some kind of false doctrine, if he can get you to pick up something outside of what the Word is, then one by one he can start putting on flesh things. Here comes more anger. Here comes more, more uh, unforgiveness. Here comes more bitterness. Here comes some envy. And these things can latch hold of you. They couldn't do that before. But you see, they can start to get, in, get on you now. But you become proofed from these things. So when the enemy comes along and he's trying to pull something out, he's trying to draw out of you things that God did not intend. That you can resist it. You see, that's a part of the vision for this church is to bring people into that kind of atmosphere. And I have noticed that people who have come into the church and stayed have not dealt with the false doctrine in their life as some who left because of offense, left because of laziness, left because of something else. I've noticed because some of the ones I've been able to stay in touch with and see that false doctrine worked into their life. They still go to church. They still worship God. They still read the Bible. But false doctrine began to work its way in. 
see, the enemy doesn't want you being, and this is not the only church that does these kind of things. I know there's many other churches around. I was uh, fortunate enough to be in, in one in my days in Tulsa. Kept that kind of stuff out. But you see, if you don't stay in that atmosphere, all the devil has to do is to get him out of that atmosphere for a little while. And then things will start to become a little soft. And pretty soon, pretty soon, we're going to be able to work some squash right into your... Because you see, as turned off as we are to squash right now, as turned off as we were to coffee when we first tasted it, all of a sudden, it's a big part of my life. Somehow, it grabbed hold of me. And that's what the devil wants to try and do with false doctrine. And if you want to get a barometer on it, just check your own life out. How much of the works of the flesh are on my life and just won't seem to get off? Because there's some false doctrine. Get rid of it. The love of God will start growing on the inside of you even stronger. And pretty soon that stuff will hit you. It will fall off. Just like wearing one of them raincoats that is fully waterproof. And that water hits it. And it just goes away. Doesn't get absorbed. Doesn't get pulled in. Saw one of those ads for a pair of pants. And this guy was wearing a pair of pants. And he took some, some whatever beverage he had and poured it on the pants. And it beat it up and ran right off. And it's a revolutionary new fabric. It stretches. It's comfortable when you wear it. It's cool. And it will not absorb water. And no matter what they did, they poured on this thing. That water just went right on off. I said, man, that's pretty incredible. And so I was curious. I said, I wonder how much these pants are. <laughs> and so it had the little button there that says shop now. So I shop now. And I went on over there and took a look at it. They're worth $140 a pair of pants. I said, I don't need waterproof pants. Now. I can't even think of why I need waterproof pants. But I sure don't need $140 waterproof pants. $139 for these pair of pants. I said, mine are just fine. <laughs> and so I walked, I walked away from, from that. But can you imagine? False doctrine. The devil tries and put this stuff on and it just rolls off. Because if you can get yourself to that place, when he throws bitterness at you, it'll just roll off. When he throws envy at you, it just rolls off. When he throws rebellion at you, it just rolls off. When he throws doing it your way, it just rolls off. It can't stick. It can't hang on. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. You get up here in the, in, in the front and you can become unmindful of some things that you were very mindful of before. Does our song still work here? Does our song work here? I don't, I'm asking. It's totally out of my head. I know we talked about a song. I even read over the words. Do you know that right now I can't remember a single one of them? <laughs> it's amazing how unmindful you become of certain things at the, what seemingly really the, the wrong time. Today is our communion Sunday.
since the time when it says to examine yourself. Check yourself out. And as we, as we do that, as we, our elements are being passed around here today, check yourself out. Listen to the words of this song. I have to listen to them myself to remember them again. But I know that they're good because I read over them before. They're just out of my head here right now. Ushers, come on. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil I now surrender, you are breaking new ground. You are breaking new ground. So make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing. But all you had given me, Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Where there is new wine, there is new power. There is new freedom. The kingdom is here. I lay down this old flame to carry your new fire today for where there is new wine there is new power there is new freedom and the kingdom is here I lay down my old flame to carry your new fire today so make me your vessel make me an offering make me whatever you want me to be i came here with nothing but all you had given me Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Think about that till the song was going on, but we, next time we, we do that song, I'll get the words and have them up on the screen so you can see them. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he knew that a color that was going to be drawn out of him was red. To cover us with the blood. 
And he prayed to the Father. Talked with him. And he conformed to the plan that God had. So his prayer, his prayer basically was, make me an offering. Make me a sacrifice. As we remember the Lord's Supper here today, before the Supper took place, he took the bread and he broke it. It says, this represents my body which is broken for you. Hadn't even happened yet. And he's looking at it as a done deal. In fact, you're all going to be remembering this. And on his body was put our sickness, our disease, the curse of the law that we paid the penalty of he took on his body. Let's eat together and remember that. Then after supper, he took the blood, took the cup and said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. Represents my blood. No longer would blood of bulls and goats and sheep be required. His blood is all that's needed. We drink together, let's remember all that we need for the forgiveness of our sins is what he gave, what he provided. Let's drink together. Glory to God. Glory to God. we go through this week think about these five areas how are you doing in these areas in your life how false doctrine proof are you you should begin to think about these things I don't want you to just concentrate on where you're weakest so if you can think of this remember this I want you next week to put in a praise report and say I thank God and you pick the area that you were the strongest in what you've done to make it as strong as it is. Just write it right in there. I thank God that He gave me a love for His Word. I thank God that I love His Word more every day. I meditate on it. Whatever it might be. I'd ask that you write those things down. Brother Keith, come on. Let's close this. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Oh, Lord, what you've done for us, you've allowed us to approach the Father. The veil was ripped in two so we could come into the very presence of our God. What an awesome thing. That as we praise God, we can be right there in his presence. So often, we want stuff. Anybody like stuff? Gifts, swag, presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, presence. But really, the real blessing is presence. We can come into the very presence of a loving God. And I want to, our time here is to encourage one another, and I want to encourage our worship team, because 
we're getting messages on Facebook that they're feeling the presence of God through our worship. Be encouraged because what you're praying for is coming to pass. See, that presence and that worship, when Pastor was talking about hard ground that we want to have towards false doctrine, it's just the opposite when you look at the word of God and good ground. Your praise is like a rototiller. It breaks up hard, fallow ground. It allows for the word of God to be planted in good ground that brings forth a bumper crop, some 10, some 20, some 100 fold. So guys, be encouraged. I have a couple praise reports here. One is from Daryl. Daryl is more over here. Okay. Okay. Daryl is uh, thankful and praising the opportunity of having people here to back him up, which is such a blessing. All right. Miss Connie talked about being stressed, doing things that you haven't done before. One of the things that we want to do, we want to develop each other here. So you're doing things that you never thought you would do before. For the kingdom of God. Because God wants to use each and every one of us. We've got a praise report from Alyssa. And she's thanking and praising God for her husband. And the opportunity to share with her husband his birthday. And he's having a birthday. And he's at the age when you can actually tell how old he is. Okay, he's 26, like for me, maybe for you, some of us. We'd be celebrating the 10th or the 20th or the 30th anniversary of our 26th birthday. <laughs> so that is such a blessing to have a family and to love one another and to acknowledge that love that we have for one another. From, also from the Bacons, we've got a school thing. Their praise report is that they had planned on doing homeschooling. Now, you know, man makes, makes plans, right? Well, clearly, Lissy wasn't going along with the plan. Lissy was ready to go to school. The word says you have not because you ask not. And then you, you might be asking amiss, but... The word also says train up the child in the wisdom and ammunition of the Lord. So what has happened is the Bacons have found a wonderful Christian school for Alyssa. And, um, I'm sorry, not Alyssa, Bellissima. And they weren't planning on spending money on a school, but because they're asking God, God is making a way for them to get their child to school. He's made a way that the tuition's already down to half price, but we're believing God's going to do even more, right? Hallelujah. All right. What we want to do here is we want to develop a mentality of expectancy, that we're expecting God to show up in all that we do and all that we are. So we're going to look more and more for more praise reports. 
So be ready. I've got one from Ento. Uh-huh. Gotta love this. And this is a praise report of healing. See, so often we're expecting something, but for us to get breakthroughs, for us to get our miracles, we've got to do something, right? So often we want to wait on the Lord. We kind of wait on the Lord instead of waiting on the Lord. And we thank God that he has showed up and provided the healing for Intel. And Miss Ethel. Uh-oh. You know what? This is kind of like a bittersweet praise report. Not just for Miss Ethel, but for all of us. Because, you know, Miss Ethel has a new car. But for Miss Ethel to have Glenda, something happened to ha- had to happen to Sylvia. See, we all have relationships with Miss Ethel's car. So she was blessed to be able to sell her whole car yesterday. Mm. Hallelujah. And she was asking, well, hold on, hold on. See, this is why I don't like doing this when you get them now, because it's like, really? All right. She was asking originally, the what is that, Miss Ethel? The dealer basically told, oh, that, the dealer told her to keep it. You can keep your car. Like paperweight, the biggest paperweight around. So, but she was able to find somebody that was willing to take her car. She was going to donate it, but somebody came and paid cash money. Hallelujah for cash money. <laughs> Glory to God. All right, so be expectant, everybody. Expect God to show up. And when He does, praise reports, praise reports, praise reports. Because remember, when the Israelites left to do anything, the first tribe that left was the tribe of Judah. Praise. Wherever they went, praise went before them. Wherever we go, praise needs to go before us. Hallelujah. All right, we're going to get out of here. We're going to go and jump in the pool and or dip our toes in the pool or eat barbecue or whatever. Today's our picnic, and we thank Connie and Pastor Steve for hosting us and inviting us to have a wonderful time. So greet one another. Oh, oh I'm sorry, real quick. Uh, Chris Barnish is doing much better. She may be at the picnic today. Jim is doing well. Mr. Bobby, I'm sorry. I was talking to Mr. Bobby earlier today, and he has a praise report. Because last week, remember, we were praying for encouragement for Miss Candy and Mr. Bobby. Because we had prayed for the healing already. And we knew it was on the way, but sometimes we get a little encouraged. Well, Mr. Bobby told me he's in the gym. All right? And being in the gym is bringing his healing. Am I right? Remember, again... Our breakthrough is in us actually moving and doing what God told us to do. Hallelujah. All right, let's have a great day. Amen.